This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So, so great again having all of you here today, and, and it, it is kind of fun, like, um, you know, the fall goes fast, and Thanksgiving, it's it, it just sort of sneaking up on me. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to offer, you know, a third part to it, a third part to this series, The Thankful Project. And what we're looking at today is the last one. How can we find the blessing in the breaking? I'm going to have you say those last three words there. How can we find the blessing in the breaking? Ready? Lean into it. Like, how do we lean into that? Because that is one of the most challenging parts, I think, of Thanksgiving. Is, is you know, like life is good, it's, it's got good parts, it's got hard parts, easy parts, this part, that part. And, and inevitably, there's challenging parts. And how is it that we can even find ways to lean into those? And today what we're going to talk about is, is we're going to talk about how we wrestle for the blessing. We're going to look at a story, ancient, ancient story of a man called Jacob as he wrestles for a blessing. I will not be giving this in a wrestling singlet, but thank you, right. And, uh, you know, but it's, it's a really fascinating story because it gives us a perspective on this. So what I want to do is I want to read it to you first. This is from Genesis, and uh, this is chapter 32, verse 22. That night, Jacob, uh, Jacob crossed the ford of the Jabbok, which was this little river, and he sent them across, sent his family across the stream. He sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. And a man, and this man is an angel slash God, eventually turns out to be God, a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. So they wrestle and they wrestle all night long. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. It's a beautiful story there. And again, like we could look at it kind of like odd, you know, what are they trying to say? Somebody's wrestling all night long. Is that possible? Maybe. But, but it's really about a deeper meaning, something underneath that, that tells us about struggle, tells us about gratitude, tells us about thanksgiving, tells us about a lot of things that, that many of us wrestle with. This line really kind of like starts the story out in this fascinating way. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unless you bless me. So that's where it starts. Where there's this situation, he's like, no, I need to have a blessing. I, I, the context for this, folks, like I know any time I preach that there are probably a handful of you who just had one of the most difficult, heartbreaking weeks you could imagine. Anytime you preach. And I feel like those are the people that this kind of story is for, that, that part of us that, that just feels so incredibly heartbroken and can't see any blessing there. Rightfully so, can't see any blessing there. And yet, this happens. Your name, by the end of the story, this is God talking, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and humans and have overcome. So it ends up 
in this renaming. The story starts with like, I need a blessing. I need a blessing. God, help me to find this blessing. I want to wrestle for the blessing. It ends with this renaming, this new identity after going through all that challenge, all that challenge, and we're reminded of this very important point. Sometimes we have to, I'm going to have to say the last four words there. Sometimes we have to, sometimes we have to wrestle for the blessing. Sometimes it's not apparent. Sometimes it's not clear. Now, now I want to be, be, you know, be really, really honest about this part. I, I think sometimes people can look at this wrestling for the blessing and they can say, well, you know, it can be a little bit off-putting because it can come across, well, that means you, you take that day where your heart was broken. You take that day where you had to wrestle with something that you couldn't imagine. That, that challenge, that defeat. And it's not about saying that that day was blessed or that that was, quote unquote, the best day of your life. Like if somebody's going through a tragedy, who would want to tell somebody like, hey, in five years from now, you're going to think that was the best day of your life? No. <laughs> you would, at least I hope you would never say that. That's, that doesn't really work. But what's, what we can do is over time, we can learn sort of a reset where we start more and more to be able to pull the blessing out of the challenge. We start to be able to see it in ways that can be incredibly important to us and that can help guide us forward in our lives. Now, one of the, the pieces of new church theology I find really interesting, a trial is as fierce as the love is large. A trial is as fierce as the love is large. That means there's a whole nother context, folks. A whole nother umbrella for what we're talking about here today. If, you know, when, when we look at a statement like that, that means that, that when we go through a time where, where we just feel like we're really under the gun, like we're really wrestling with something, where it's incredibly difficult for us, it's so easy, at least for me, to think something must be wrong. Something must be wrong. But maybe there's another way to look at it. Maybe if we really understand this, the trials is fierce as the love is large, we start to understand that, that, that those trials really are pointing to what we absolutely love the most. I want that to sink in. Like, don't let that just be like, yeah, that's you know, what does that really mean? That really means that those places where our hearts just, just are just absolutely broken, where it's just so incredibly painful for us, it's because that's what we cherish. If you have a relationship with someone and it just feels so completely broken, it's not because you don't care about that person. Matter of fact, the more you care, the harder the struggle is. Now, some people would go like, well, that's it. I'm giving up on caring for the rest of my life. Is that the right answer? Yes or no? Please say no. <laughs> no, it's, it's not the right answer. Like, it'd be easy to just go, well, off with their heads. Done. But that's not what it's asking here. You know, it's, it's saying like, yeah, allow that to point. It points to what I really love and allow me. Remember those three words we started out at the beginning of the service? It's, it had that word lean in it. Our job is to lean into it is to actually lean into it.
Lean into those challenges, lean into those hard parts, lean into the, 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 the breakings that are there. Finding, finding, believe it or not, finding gratitude there. That's not easy to do. And I think we, we need other people who can help us to kind of get a, a sense of how that works. So what we're going to do is, is today's service, we're going to do it a little bit differently. And I'm going to be using a couple of sections from a story uh, from an Olympian, Janine Shepard, a TED Talk. And I'm going to be moving over here to do this. And Janine Shepard was an Olympian who goes through a huge, huge challenge in her life. And you'll see that, that she actually has five chairs as we look at this video. She actually has five chairs. I'm only going to use four. And we're going to talk about maybe some different phases as we look at what exactly those breakings are. I mean, that's where it starts. And the phases she talks about are breakings, connection, acceptance, and blessing. Breakings, connection, acceptance, and blessings. And maybe that's the process of the wrestling. Maybe those four are the way we lean into it. Knowing that, of course, there's pain and challenge and all that, but, but that's really pointing to what we consider important. And that it's well worthwhile to just kind of see these phases. And it's not, folks, I think, that we mechanically go through these phases, like a, like a checkbox, like first I do this, then I do this, then I do this, then I do this. What we do, listen carefully here, what we do is we witness. We witness. We witness what the doer, God, we witness what the doer is doing. We witness how God moves us through these things. Our job is to cooperate. Our job is to be open. Our job is to witness. So take a look to start out with this Janine Shepard talking about what her particular breaking was. Take a look. is about opportunities, creating them and embracing them. And for me, that was the Olympic dream. That's what defined me. That was my bliss. As a cross-country skier and member of the Australian ski team headed towards the Winter Olympics, I was on a training bike ride with my fellow teammates. As we made our way up towards the spectacular Blue Mountains west of Sydney, it was the perfect autumn day sunshine, the smell of eucalypt, and a dream. Life was good. We'd been on our bikes for around five and a half hours when we got to the part of the ride that I loved, and that was the hills, because I loved the hills. And I got up off the seat of my bike, and I started pumping my legs, and as I sucked in the cold mountain air, I could feel it burning my lungs, and I looked up to see the sun shining in my face. And then everything went black. Where was I? What was happening? My body was consumed by pain. I'd been hit by a speeding utility truck with only 10 minutes to go on the bike ride. I was airlifted from the scene of the accident by a rescue helicopter to a large spinal unit in Sydney. I had extensive and life-threatening injuries. I'd broken my neck and my back in six places. I broke five ribs on my left side. I broke my right arm, I broke my collarbone, I broke some bones in my feet. 
My whole right side was ripped open, filled with gravel. My head was cut open across the front, lifted back, exposing the skull underneath. I had head injuries. I had internal injuries. I had massive blood loss. In fact, I lost about five litres of blood, which is all someone my size would actually hold. By the time the helicopter arrived at Prince Henry Hospital in Sydney, my blood pressure was 40 over nothing. I was having a really bad day. Now, as, as the band comes out, as the band comes out for this beautiful second song, I, I want you to think, like, well, when have you sat in this chair? In that place of breaking. And you know, as, as we move forward, as we move forward, it's important to be aware of, like, how this process starts to work. As the band comes out, you're going to hear this next song, and it's, it's a song about, like, finding that. Finding those pieces in life where we can sort of reclaim life, we can find the good in life again. But this is a big journey. This is a big journey. There's something about sitting in this chair. There's something about the wisdom of sitting in this place. And there's also an incredible piece that we get when we start to understand that, again, it's not the end. It's simply not the end. Not the end of the journey. So, you know, and, and like imagine, like we have that place where, where we're in that place of, of breaking. We've, we've sat in that chair. All of us here have sat in that chair. That place where life just feels broken. And then we can continue to move. Like God will continue to move us. A new day, a new dawn. Life shifts in amazing ways. Now, how did she found that? She found that through, Janine Shepard found that through connection. It was the first step back. Here's a beautiful piece of new church that, that I think speaks to that so well. During our spiritual tests, and again, remember, like these tests can be really big, especially if our love is large. During our spiritual tests, we are apparently left completely alone. Dorothy Day said, we all know the long loneliness, which is a beautiful quote. In fact, please say the N-word with some degree of gravitas. In fact, we are never, never never alone. We're never alone. At those times, God is most intimately present at our deepest level, giving us support. Support. That's incredibly beautiful and, and, and comforting in, in so many ways that, that God is there. Even at those moments we feel most alone, as we shift from the blessing, he'll start to shift us into connection. And the question, of course, is do we have eyes to see it? That's, that's our part. We have to see it. When we do, it's amazing. Take a look at how Janine Shepherd, how she saw it and how she experienced it again in that beginning that new day and that new dawn. Take a look at Janine here. Paralyzed in the spinal ward, we didn't know what each other looked like. How amazing is that? How often in life do you get to make friendships, judgment-free, purely based on spirit? And there were no superficial conversations as we shared our innermost thoughts, our fears, and our hopes for life after the spinal ward. I remember one night, one of the nurses came in, Jonathan, with a whole lot of plastic straws 
He put a pile on top of each of us and he said, start threading them together. Well, there wasn't much else to do in the Spinal Ward, so we did. (laughs) And when we'd finished, he went around silently and he joined all of the straws up till it looped around the whole ward. And then he said, okay, everybody, hold on to your straws. And we did. And he said, right, now we're all connected. And as we held on and we breathed as one, we knew we weren't on this journey alone. And even lying paralyzed in the spinal ward, there were moments of incredible depth and richness of authenticity and connection that I had never experienced before. And each of us knew that when we left the spinal ward, we would never be the same. I love that piece, you know, and how clever, like, to use straws. And then again, you think they're in traction, et cetera. They can't see each other. Can't see each other, but they can share this connection. That's speaking to this idea, folks. You know, real simple. A, a oneness rising out of love. You know, that's what we can sort of find in this connection place. And isn't it interesting, right? Isn't it interesting that we often find that, and I don't know the spiritual, you know, dynamics of this. We often find it out of a broken place. Isn't that interesting? Like, like something happens in the transition between these two chairs that opens us to connection in, in a brand new way. You know, many of you experienced it. I, you know, I certainly have many, many times at the Ronald McDonald House where these families who are dealing with, with a clear brokenness, you, you know, you sit with them at the table and you move very quickly into a real connection, a oneness that is born of love. And I would imagine that a lot of you have had that experience. Some of you are going down to Gift of Life Family Home on on Wednesday night. You're going to have that experience, I can promise you. 9-11, remember 9-11? Remember that feeling of connectedness and oneness? Like that's what this is talking about as we start to transition right on over. So we have that sense of connectedness. And then somehow that connectedness starts to shift us over one more chair to this. Could we say that word together? The word? Acceptance. So we have this idea of connection. We start to connect with other people. And isn't it interesting, again, we we tend to connect far better in our brokenness than in our unbrokenness. And we start to really connect And then we start to be able to accept more and more of who we are and what this life maybe has in store for us. So take a look at this video here, and it's a video about her coming to acceptance. And I realized that this wasn't just my life. It was life itself. I realized that this wasn't just my pain. It was everybody's pain. And then I knew, just like before, that I had a choice. I could keep fighting this, or I could let go and accept not only my body, but the circumstances of my life. And then I stopped asking, why me? And I started to ask, why not me? 
And then I thought to myself, maybe being at rock bottom is actually the perfect place to start. So an interesting place, right? Where we're, where we're sitting in that spot of acceptance. Acceptance that life is broken. Acceptance maybe that a loved one is not coming back. Acceptance of a challenge in our life. But notice how the Lord is building things here. Yes, we've had that breaking, but, but these two chairs, kind of, it, it circles back and forth here. I mean, how many of those connections with the people that she was connected with were talking about acceptance? Like, how do we accept these things? Surrender to them, knowing that life is what life is. Again, not a God that's out there to somehow test us with all this. That's not the, that's not the conversation. But the God is with us, with us through all of this. See, and then when we start to get to that acceptance part, that's where I feel like deep down underneath in ways that, that we don't even know and are unaware of, there's God is starting to pull gifts, starting to pull gifts, like to really reach deeply into our soul and start to pull gifts out. This is a beautiful phrase that talks about that. A spiritual crisis accomplishes far more than we can ever see. And I look at that and I think, that's not good news. You know, I don't want a crisis just so I can have some benefits to it. But that seems to be what happens. You know, we go, we go through a crisis and then, it, then, then somehow in our lives, like God, and, and folks, sometimes it's years, it's years. But slowly, slowly, blessings are brought up. You know, my, my, I think back, like my freshman, sophomore year in high school, bullied terribly in this weird way that I can't understand. That bullying combined with challenges that I've had in my personal life somehow enabled me to be a pastor. Like if I hadn't gotten bullied in ninth grade, I wouldn't be sitting here today. That makes no sense to me. I don't wish that on you. And I get it. I get it. And I can accept that that's just part of my life when I can accept that the challenges that I've had, are they, they just, they just, they are what they are. And then I've built these people who I can have connection with and we can talk about our blessings. We can talk about our connection. We can talk about our acceptance. When this sort of starts to hum, man, God's working, folks. I mean, that should give you chills. God's doing his best stuff, <laughs> You know, and it's a miracle. A miracle to witness then as we go on to the next step where we start to see the blessings. We start to actually see over a period, for her it was over a period of 18 months, for some of you years, some of you maybe in weeks, but we start to start to see those blessings start to pull up. Take a look at what she said about the blessings. Sitting at home, 
in my wheelchair and my plaster body cast, an aeroplane flew overhead. And I looked up and I thought to myself, that's it. If I can't walk, then I might as well fly. I said, mum, I'm going to learn how to fly. She said, that's nice, dear. I said, pass me the, page, the yellow pages. She's passed me the phone book. I rang up the flying school. I made a booking. I said, I'd like to make a booking to come out for a flight. They said, do you know, do, 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 when do you want to come out? I said, well, I have to get a friend to drive me out because I can't drive. <laughs> sort of can't walk either. <laughs> Is that a problem? I made a booking. And weeks later, my friend Chris and my mum drove me out to the airport, all 80 pounds of me, covered in a plaster body cast and a baggy pair of overalls. <laughs> I can tell you, I did not look like the ideal candidate to get a pilot's license. <laughs> I'm holding onto the counter because I can't stand. I said, hi, I'm here for a flying lesson. And they took one look and ran out the back to draw short straws. <laughs> you get her. No, no, you take her. Finally, this guy comes out. He goes, hi, I'm Andrew, and I'm going to take you flying. I go, great. So they drive me down. They get me out on the tarmac, and there was this red, white, and blue airplane. It was beautiful. They lifted me into the cockpit. They had to slide me up on the wing, put me in the cockpit. They sat me down. There are buttons and dials everywhere. I'm going, wow, how do you ever know what all these buttons and dials do? Andrew, the instructor, got in the front, started the airplane up. He said, would you like to have a go at taxiing? That's when you use your feet to control the rudder pedals, to control the airplane on the ground. I said, no, I <laughs> can't use my legs. He went, oh. I said, but I can use my hands. And he said, okay. So he got over to the runway and he applied the power. And as we took off down the runway and the wheels lifted up off the tarmac and we became airborne, I had the most incredible sense of freedom. And Andrew said to me, as we got over the training area, you see that mountain over there? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you take the controls and you fly towards that mountain. And as I looked up, I realized that he was pointing towards the Blue Mountains where the journey had begun. And I took the controls and I was flying. And I was a long, long way from that spinal ward. And I knew right then that I was going to be a pilot. Didn't know how on earth I'd ever pass a medical but I worry about that later because right now I had a dream. So I went You know, you, you think about that blessing part, like it, it's incredible when you start to see it. And, and it's going to look very different. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to be necessarily the dream that you had way back when. Life is not going to work. It doesn't follow necessarily our plans. And I think we have to constantly remember, you know, these words of God, I will turn all my mountains, please say the R word there, I will turn all my mountains into roads. That that breaking, again, not given to you by God to somehow test you, but happening because life is imperfect but that God is going to somehow take that breaking and move it the whole way through for you to be able to find a blessing. I mean, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that Janine Shepherd is not sitting around every day like glad that she can't move her legs in the same way. I'm sure she has days where she desperately misses the life that was on the other side of the breaking. I'm sure of it. And I know that she would probably say her life is a good life. She'd probably say her life 
is a blessed life. She understands surrender in all new ways. She understands connection in all new ways and no doubt is able to reach out to people in brokenness in ways that are just a miracle and reminding them of this process that the doer is doing. And again, I think our job is try as best we can not to get stuck in any one part or not to try to jump ahead. Like you can't go right from, uh, right from the breaking to, hey, buck up, life's really good and sit in the blessing seat. There's a process here, a sacred process, an honored process, a spiritual process. We've got to, again, allow God to move us through, to allow that divine drifting, his spirit to work through us in ways that are just amazing. So I'm going to step back over here to the center to offer a few little closing remarks on this. There's always this reminder. Sometimes we have to wrestle for the blessing. And you know, as, as I was going through this and, and walking through this with the sermon writing team, you know, there were a couple of things that we talked about that really came to the fore. One is I, I think there's kind of a misperception. You know, when you read this story, and, and I, had, I had done this, done a sermon on this a number of years ago, and it's, it's just, it's interesting how with scripture and revelation, like you never step into the same river twice, you look at the same story two times, you're going to get two different things out of it. And, and the first time going through it, I sort of thought, yeah, it's, you know, it's time about wrestling with God. Like literally I wrestle with God and, and I end up wounded and I carry that wound, but there's a blessing at the end. And I've got to kind of, you know, square off against God to do it. Well, I'm a really bad wrestler. I don't wrestle terribly well. I could maybe take God in swimming, but I couldn't take him in wrestling. It's, it's, it's sort of this adversarial role with God. I don't see it that way anymore. I don't see it as like God's wrestling with me. I see it as God being with me as I wrestle. I don't wrestle with God. I see it as God being with me as I wrestle. As I deal with these things in my life that I can't put together, I know for many of you, you have parts of your life you can't put together. We wrestle with that. We try to find it. We we look at the brokenness and we try to wrestle and somehow find the blessing in that. God wants you to do that. Can you hear that? God wants you to do that. This Thanksgiving, God wants you to do that. Because you will find a level of gratitude there. You will find these stages and you will start to see blessings in all of that. And again, as we wrestle, it'll be a different outcome than what we think, a different outcome than what we desire. You know, when you're with a group of people and somebody says something and you hear it one time and you're like, oh my goodness, that is totally true. Like not true with a small T or true as in like, that's a nice opinion or true, let me disagree with that for 20 minutes, but it's... But it's like, it's, it's so true. It's like listening to Rebecca at that last song where you just sort of want to sit in silence for three minutes and go, oh my goodness. And that, this is what was shared. Somebody who's been through a lot of these seats has come to this part and they said this, 95% of what I believed I was sent into life to do 
is just not true anymore. 95% of what I thought I was here to do is not true anymore. All these things that I thought I was here on this planet to do, I'm figuring out more and more it's not what I was here to do. Now again, we could look at that at a surface level. You thought you were an Olympian, now you're a pilot. But I think there's a lot in our life where we think we have this huge batch of things, 95%, which is, oh yeah, this is what I'm here to do. And then there's this shift of like, oh, I'm actually here to do something very different. That's freeing. That's terrifying. It takes humility. It takes courage. It takes trust because I don't think God ever like gives us the checklist. And maybe it's just that simple knowledge. Like, this is what I thought I was here to do. This is where I am. I mean, I, I just look at my life. Like, just a simple transition for me. Simple for me. When I started out here as a pastor, I thought my job was to grow a church. Through a lot of heartbreak, getting my job is to join with other people and just, just, just be the church. Just be that thing. Allow it to open. Now we go through, you know, as we transition from here to here, there's this little inconvenient part in the middle called the reset. You know, where sort of our life hits a reset. It's a reset, at least for many of you, for many of us, it's not something we welcome. It's not something that's necessarily pleasant or easy. You may feel like you've been hit by a truck. But we go through that reset, and then that reset can be an incredibly blessed place because there's a new perspective that we get there. And, and you think about her perspective, folks, like the, the perspective that shifts as we go through these chairs. You think of her story and, and her going through that basic reset, all those things she thought she was, she was no longer. And then she gets into the plane and she starts flying, and I'm sure some of you picked up on this. What did her pilot instructor point to for her to fly towards? The mountains. And what was significant about those mountains? It's where she'd had the accident. Think about that. Did that give you chills? You know, you think about now, here literally she, she had this perspective. I don't know whether she ever could have gone back to that place or did after the accident. And, and now she's, she's at this other place where literally she has the eagle's eye view on it. No doubt, seeing the road, no doubt she knew exactly where she had that accident. But a new day, a new way, a whole new perspective a whole new blessing. like, and, and that's where when she talks about the reset, that's where she says like at the bottom is a great place to start, even though it may not be comfortable and you may not want it. I don't know. I don't know anybody actually who's willingly embraced that reset because it is such a trying place, but we can find new perspectives there again as we allow the doer to do and to move us forward. There's a beautiful quote here from Walter Brueggemann that I think points to some of the beauty in all of this. God is the map whereby we locate the setting of our life. 
The God is the water in which we launch our life raft. The God is the real thing from which and toward which we receive our being and identify ourselves. It follows. And this is really important, folks. I'd take a picture of this if you have your phone out. It follows that the kind of God at work in your life will determine the shape and quality and risk. Can we say shape, quality, and risk together? Shape, quality, risk will determine the shape and quality and risk at the center of your existence. It matters. It matters who God is. Because when we can start to get that, we can start to understand that, that, that again, that, that shape and quality and risk at the center of our lives, we start to create and start to come into understanding a God that is the water, that again, that holds the whole thing. We're not saying, well, God wasn't in chair one. He's only in chair four. We start to see a God that holds it all. Universal. Universe. I've said this before. Universe. One song. One love. One connection. That starts to pull us all together. And we do have to wrestle for it. I mean, that's, that's part of the growth. And, and the wrestling is going to be every bit as hard as the, as the love is large. The wrestling, I want to say that again. The wrestling is going to be every bit as hard as the love is large. That means, folks, that maybe, maybe, you know, we live in such an age of entertainment. If you don't have some of that in your life, my recommendation, find some of it. Because it's so easy to just lose track and just think that every day is about feeling better than I felt the day before. Martha Graham. The angels of God. The angels of God. Wrestled. And they grew strong. They chose. And they acted. And what happens when we do that? Well, do you remember how the story ends? What happened to Jacob? What did God say? You now have a new name. A new name. You're walking with a limp, (laughs) but you have a new name. A new quality about your life. Because Janine Shepard's life's gone pretty darn well. So she not only flew, she learned how to become an acrobatic pilot. She not only learned how to become an acrobatic pilot, now she teaches other pilots how to fly acrobatic flying, whatever that's called. I mean, just imagine that. Like a life that went through those chairs, a life that has discovered how to fly again. That's your blessing this Thanksgiving. Find that wrestling, lean into it, look for the blessing. We're going to close today's service with a prayer, and then we're going to close it with a rousing addition of All Fly Away. (laughs) Please feel free to rise and join us in that last song if you'd like. But before that, please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And Lord, allow us to see in this beautiful story, the story of Jacob. Jacob, now Israel. Israel, 
a name for struggle. Struggling with humanity, struggling with ourselves, struggling, Lord, with you at times, but knowing in the end that it's not a struggling with you, but you holding us as we struggle. Help us to find, Lord, that place in our hearts where we deeply understand what it means to fly. A new heart, not new circumstances in our life. A leaning into wrestling, not a leaning away from problems. A willingness to engage others, Lord, in any seat in which they may find themselves broken or connected or in a place of needing of acceptance or, Lord, in a place of simply sharing blessing. Allow us, Lord, to sit with others no matter which seat they find themselves in this thanksgiving. And Lord, gratitude, like overwhelming gratitude that you're with us in the whole thing. Gospel, good news, that is good news. Your tender ways, your gentle holding, your compassion, the friends you've given us to walk through this fire with us, the family you've given us to walk through fires with us. What a blessing. Thanks, Lord. Thanks for giving. And help us, Lord, to fly away. In your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 